Hey, everybody. Brief heads up. We had some recording difficulties this time around. So there's a small section in the middle of the podcast where you're going to hear a bunch of clanking while Miles is talking. And that's just me changing some batteries and uh, happen to make its way into the recording this time around. So sorry about that, but uh, enjoy the episode regardless. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse Podcast. I'm Andrew Glyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It is Wednesday morning, about 10 a.m. as we are recording this. So far, the numbers have not changed in Door County since last we reported on Monday. That would be 18 positive cases and three deaths. That might change, but uh, like I said, we're recording at 10 a.m. The new numbers have not come out yet. So keep that in mind if, if things change as this comes out. We have a couple things to talk about today. So yesterday, The Pulse published an article about Dave Lenow. He's uh, on the county board. He's also the village president of Sister Bay. Dave Lenow had COVID-19, and he talked a little bit about his experience with it. Kind of a, a unique situation in terms of how he thinks he got it and what his symptoms were, that kind of stuff. He got an antibody test. Uh, which is what alerted him to the fact that he had it. Uh, He didn't actually get tested for it when he was having symptoms, but you had a conversation with him on the phone today, and we will be airing that after we talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you talked about. Uh, But just give me kind of a a rundown about the article and then just kind of an intro into what you and Dave are going to get into. Yeah, I think it's just an interesting look back kind of through Dave's eyes of the evolution of our understanding of the disease and the crisis and social distancing. It's all wrapped up into his story because he came back and as a village board president and county board president, he has to sit down on meetings and he started to get the symptoms. But he was also at that time, we were saying, well, you don't don't go get tested unless you are like on the verge of hospitalization. So he's like, well, I'm not there. So I don't I don't know if this is COVID. I'll just social distance and everything. And so he gets the antibody test, looks back. Unfortunately, he was social distancing. Uh, I was at a lot of those meetings. There was uh, tables were very spaced apart. So it's kind of a, a look at the evolution of our understanding of who needs to get tests, when to get tests, what you, how you need to behave, and it reinforces the notion that everybody should be acting like you have it. So Right. Well, and the other thing, too, my big takeaway is that, and, and this is something that's probably obvious to a lot of people, but the number of positive tests are not the number of cases in Door County. It's not the number of cases in Wisconsin, the country, the world, regardless. It's just the number of positive tests we have. There are probably way more cases of COVID-19. And I'm not even talking about asymptomatic people, so people who don't present symptoms at all. There are probably way more cases of COVID-19 than people who actually get tested for it. Especially early on, a lot of people were say, were calling into their doctors and saying, these are my symptoms, I've got this, this, and this. And they're like, yep, yeah, that's probably COVID-19. Why don't you stay home and quarantine rather than coming in and getting a test? So just because the test or the positive tests uh, say one number, the actual number of people with symptoms probably much higher than that. And this is a good example of that. Yeah. Some of the good estimates I've seen that that seem to make the most sense to me are, you know, like right now we have like one, I, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's like 1.5 million people in the United States have tested positive. The number of actual cases or people who have actually had it is probably somewhere on the order of at least five times that. The estimates that I've seen from really smart people are saying like 5%, maybe 10% of the population has been exposed already. There are other estimates that put that number much higher, but those are based on some really faulty study numbers. So yeah, you're correct. A a lot of people have definitely been, a lot more people have been exposed to this than, than are the positive cases. Right. 
So the other thing that you and Dave talked about today was some of the new things that are being talked about in Sister Bay, including new regulations, thoughts about wearing masks, different things like that. Can you give me kind of a, a a brief look at some of the new regulations that Sister Bay is talking about implementing? Uh, So they decided not to implement any of these, but there were three items that they discussed last night. One, and this was wiped from the table pretty quickly, uh, the idea of closing parks to discourage people from gathering and gathering groups. And they basically said, like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to take another thing away from people. That's one of the things that's really great about being in Door County is some of that room to roam. However, This weekend, uh, restaurants that they were serving takeout orders were encouraging people to go and get food to go and then go to the park and eat it there. So you're essentially encouraging people to gather in the public space, which is pushing it from like their individual property onto public property, which then leaves the village in charge of policing it, which is technically legal, but maybe frowned upon. Another big topic last night was the discussion about possibly requiring passing an ordinance to require people to wear masks in sister bay businesses they decided ultimately not to do that because there was some concern from uh, attorney randy nesbitt that this would potentially trigger maybe a legal challenge like infringing on civil civil liberties it was a very interesting discussion because like denise berto is a proponent of it she talked to a lot of business owners she said and and most of these business owners told them like there's a good number that are going to go to a no mask no service policy this, this weekend because they want to keep their staff safe. And whether or not you think that masks don't help or that it's um, overhyped or whatever, the people who you might go out and go into one or two businesses and you're like, oh, I'm fine. I don't need a mask. I'm just, I'm not exposing myself. But the people working in those businesses, the people at the checkout line, the people at the gas station are being exposed to hundreds of people every day. And right. it's it's about the protection for them. And and Dave and I, Dave Lenau and I talk about this later on in the podcast, but that's, that's the thrust. I know a lot of what Denise said, a lot of employees have told their business owners that like, this is what will make me feel safe at work. But there's also the question of like a restaurant, do you require a mask? Like, okay, I guess they would wear it when they come in, you know, talking about later when restaurants do open, but how do you eat with a mask on? <laughs> kind of is a, is a difficult question. So they ultimately decided just to make a strong recommendation that businesses require masks and that signage be put up encouraging people to wear masks, but they did not pass a rule that they do that. Part of that being like, not everyone has them. I mean, as much as, and some people said like, yeah, everyone by now has a mask. I know for a fact they don't, you know, like just walking around, there are a lot of people who just don't think it's necessary. So they haven't done it. And then they're not readily available for sale. So there is that question too, for businesses of, okay, if we require a mask, but we don't have them to hand out, what do we do? Right. I would guess that people must be looking to other parts of the country and the world for for guidance on this. So my, I guess my first question is talking about it being a question of civil liberties and stuff like that. Aren't there places in the United States that have mask requirements for businesses anyway? Like you have bouncers basically keeping people from entering premises without masks in other parts of the country already. So why isn't it a problem there? But it's a consideration here. Um, yeah, there are other places requiring it, and but I wouldn't say that it's not a problem there. Like there, are, there is a subset of people that are getting very angry about it, and are I mean, just talking to business owners this last weekend, they had to deal with a lot of crap from customers when they were when they saw them in masks and have to answer answer questions about it. And it's it's too bad that customers can't just respect someone's need to feel safe or not even feel safe, be safe. And then in Flint, Michigan, you have a case where somebody was shot and killed because they asked a customer to wear a mask. 
I, I get the hesitancy to not require it because there is that subset that says like, this is government overreacting and encroaching on me. And you would rather, I, I think what Sister Bay is going for is let's let the business community require it without us mandating it. And hopefully it comes out just as strong. And maybe they'd revisit it next week if that doesn't happen. I did talk to Ron McDonald at the Northern Grill this morning at length, and he would like to see the village enact some very strong measures. And there are many business owners and residents who who would have liked to see the village temporarily suspend the open container rule or allowance. I didn't hear anyone say like, let's close the parks, but I did hear people say like, don't put out picnic tables. Don't allow businesses to promote taking food to go and hanging out in the parks and put in a rule for masks. Ron personally said he was in favor of all those things. He said he's embarrassed that Sister Bay is, in his mind, he says they are promoting people to come up and enjoy the parks and party in Sister Bay. That's a strong interpretation of what they did last night, but um, just by having them open and, inc- and allowing businesses to encourage people to enjoy their, their meals at the parks, he's saying that is taking the focus off of public health and into business and, and cash registers. So there is, there's definitely feeling strong feelings on both sides of the issue. Right. Yeah. And I, I think when you put it that way, it is, it is a fair argument. I know that on the podcast, we've been proponents of visiting the parks, getting outside into nature where you can have distance between you and other people, taking advantage of the resources that we have right now in order to bolster your mental health, but also just to be able to get out and exercise, all those types of things. When you put the the other part of it on there of encouraging people to come up and recreate when perhaps we should be encouraging people to stay in place and stay safe, I can see where that argument has has some strength in that way. One other thing that you had brought up about like restaurants requiring masks, how do you eat with a mask? I read an article today about how Asian countries are dealing with this. And one solution that I've seen is every person is given like a paper bag that they can put their mask in to both protect the table from contaminants, but to protect their mask from contaminants on the table. So you would come in, you do your order and all that kind of stuff. When the food is brought out to you, you can take your mask off and put it in a paper bag or a plastic bag or something like that, something sanitary. Uh, You can eat your food, and then when you're done, you can replace your mask afterwards. I think that that is a pretty good solution. Um, I know most people are being encouraged to, when you take your mask off for any reason, to put it on like a paper towel or something like that. Don't just put it down on a surface because you don't want to risk contaminating your mask with anything. So I think that a the paper or plastic bag situation could probably be a good way forward in that. I know that the your first thought is like, well, how am I going to eat with a mask on? It's like, well, you take your mask off to eat, but you know, do it in a way that is safe for everybody. And you're going to have to tailor your serving to that as well. You know what I mean? Like if you have a server who's wearing gloves and a mask, it's probably not that big of a deal when they come over to you and you don't have your mask on, Uh, but maybe limit the amount of times that you're checking up on somebody. Maybe that's a consideration too. Instead of coming and checking three or four times during a meal, maybe it's just flag me down if you need me kind of thing. I don't know, just spitballing. If my brother were here, he would be saying that's the way it should always be anyway, because he's a big proponent of what he calls like the French style of dining um, in Europe, yeah. of like long dinners don't check on you. You flag down the waiter. The waiter doesn't check on you every few minutes and ask you how it's tasting. That's his <laughs> approach to dining. He now he when he comes back to the United States, he goes nuts when we go out to eat. And, and it's not really pleasant for me, though. The one thing that came up a little bit in the meeting last night. And, you know, as people preach civil liberties here and stuff and, oh, you can't require me to wear a mask or whatever. Businesses for years have had different rules like no shirt, no shoes, no service. 
And you think about it, like if somebody comes in not wearing a shirt, that's a much lower risk than not wearing a mask, even at any time, like in a flu season or a cold season, like it's your mouth and your nose that the germs come out of. <laughs> so right. it's actually more appropriate for a business to ask you to wear a mask than it is for them to ask you to wear a shirt as much as I don't right. want people coming in without a shirt. Yeah. And, and if, if it's appropriate to deny somebody service for violating a dress code rule like that, I think it's equally, if not more appropriate to deny somebody service for not wearing a mask right now. Yeah. I mean, That's if totally people want to golf at certain courses, they wear a college shirt or, or pants like to go golfing. Like we can, we can get by wearing a mask for a while. If, if it makes people healthier, if it slows down the spread, if it just makes somebody feel safe at, at their place of work while they're working, while you're not having to, like, I think, uh, people need to get over themselves and just think about others. All right. Do you have uh, any clue of some of the other guests that we're going to have on the podcast this week that people can look forward to hearing? Uh, I do have a couple of feelers out right now. I know we're going to be talking to Brett Bicoy from the Door County Community Foundation. He wrote a column for us this week that uh, got spread around widely on social media just about how Door County needs to hold together and quit we've got to do something about these fissures that are forming. Um, and then uh, we'll be talking soon to Dan Egan, uh, the author of The Death and Life of the Great Lakes, and about water levels and um, where we're heading uh, in, in Door County and the Great Lakes in general. Great. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. And we will jump into your conversation with Dave Lino. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, I'm joined once again by County Board Chairman and Sister Bay Village President Dave Lenow, who announced at last night's Sister Bay Village board meeting that he actually found out that he had COVID-19 back in March. Dave, thanks for joining us and uh, telling us a little bit about what you went through and what your story was. Good morning, Miles. I'd be happy <laughs> to share my story. So tell us, uh, you made this announcement at last night's Village Board meeting. You had come back from a vacation in Aspen and immediately met with the, the county board where you serve as chairman. And then that night at the Sister Bay Village Board and kind of kind of alerted everybody to the, the seriousness of what we were facing. And there were some other board members who were feeling that way as well. But Sister Bay and the county led the way in saying, this is an emergency. We got to take this serious. Kind of take us back to that time. And when, like, why, why were you so alarmed when you came back? But then also what you found out later in finding out that you had COVID-19. Sure. Um, okay. So I am an avid skier and I go out West usually a couple of times each year with my family and friends. And I had been in the Aspen area uh, for a couple of weeks with my daughter and son-in-law and two grandkids. And uh, we were there for about two weeks. And during that two week period of time, there was an outbreak of COVID-19 amongst a group of visitors from Australia uh, that were staying in the Aspen area for a couple of weeks. And uh, I out there suddenly, you know, that was like the hot spot in Colorado. It just popped up. And of course, in Aspen, you got thousands of people traveling in there from all over the world, not just, you know, in, in the local area, but from all over the world, people coming and going. And it was also the first week of spring break. And when the outbreak hit out there, their public health department immediately jumped in to try and quarantine and, and find out what was happening to do contact tracing. And it was, but it was also difficult because, as I said, it was the start of uh, spring break, and there were thousands of people arriving and thousands of people leaving. And to make a long story short about about Aspen, so my daughter left approximately March 5th or 6th and came home uh, to Arlington Heights, Illinois, and I left on Friday the 13th. And I had a meeting on 
Monday at the county building to talk about with public health and administration um, a public health declaration at that point in time because things were just starting to you know crank up on this whole thing within the United States and the, the CDC procedures. And at that meeting, it was decided to declare a public emergency, public health emergency. And the next day we held on Tuesday, the 17th, we held an emergency meeting of the board of supervisors uh, to ratify the declaration. And then that evening was also our board of trustees meeting in Sister Bay, where we also uh, ratified and put in place an emergency declaration. And I had seen some of the response in Aspen to business owners, to customers, you know, wondering what they do, what are the procedures, how do we handle this? And people were, in amongst all that, you had thousands of visitors that are also wondering, well, now what do we do? What's going on? And the day after I left, or two days after I left, uh, the governor of Colorado closed all the ski areas because of the outbreak. And so I saw some of the immediate effects of what people were thinking, saying, et cetera. So now it's the 17th, we put the emergency declaration in place. And I do need this to say that at all the meetings that I was at in those couple of days, social distancing was definitely being practiced. Mm-hmm. And as I as I had left Aspen, it was also being practiced out there. They put an emergency in uh, to make sure everybody was trying to do that too. Although at the airport, when I left the airport, there were hundreds of people out there trying to leave. I was there for several hours. And Aspen Airport is a very small airport, and there's four or five gates, and they're all in one waiting area that's fairly small so it was impossible to social distance with that many people there sure but my niece had the same uh same experience coming back when uh she came back from spain from studying abroad she sends a picture and it's just like a flooded airport and i was like well that's that's not ideal (laughs) so yes right exactly exactly um so those meetings were held on tuesday the 17th on thursday the 19th i felt myself coming down with what i thought was a cold, okay? But I remember thinking to myself at the time when I was coming down with quote, the cold that this felt different than a, than a typical cold. You know, I've had colds and flus through my, you know, throughout my life, uh, but this just felt different. And at the same time, the guidance that was out from the CDC at that point in time was, you know, a fever, uh, dry cough, a headache kind of thing. And I didn't really have that. So I didn't think too much of it. I just thought I'm coming down with cold. The other thing is when I would, I would ski five, six, seven hours a day, quite physical out there at high altitude for a couple of weeks. And so when I come back from skiing, it's also typical for me to have some sore legs or some aches and pains and to be tired for a couple of days until I catch up on my sleep and, and stuff. And so I didn't really think too much about it. About the third day, I did start to have a slight sore throat. Again, thinking it was a cold, but I got very, very tired. And when I mean tired, um, for the next three or four days, I was sleeping anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day. Uh, and if I got up, uh, I was only up for a couple hours and I was ready to go back to bed. I mean, I was just exhausted. And uh, that went on for three or four more days. So after the fifth or sixth day of this, it suddenly dawned on me, the question creeped into my mind, you know, could this be COVID-19? You know, had I been exposed somewhere, particularly traveling or out in Aspen? Um, but at that, t- at that period of time, we were also being told by our, our that we should not uh, go in and get tested. We shouldn't go to the hospital, et cetera, unless we felt if it was just mild symptoms and that you really thought it was a cold or something, testing uh, wasn't readily available. It was difficult to get tests and to leave that for people that, you know, became very ill. So I didn't give it much thought. Uh, I probably don't have it anyway. Yeah. At that time, it was more of like, if you think you might need to be hospitalized, that's kind of, that was kind of the standard for getting a test. Right. It was it, exactly. So I didn't feel compelled to try to get a test because I wasn't really sure. You know, that's what I had. I just still thought it was kind of a cold. About the sixth or seventh day, I kind of lost my sense of taste and sense of smell. 
Now, at that time, that wasn't necessarily a symptom mm-hmm. uh, that had been widely discussed. It, it, it has been now, however. Yeah. Uh, so for several days, I also didn't eat very much. I lost some poundage, which you know was good, of course. <laughs> uh, but it, over the course of, of about eight or nine days, I lost. No, over the course of seven days, I lost about nine pounds. Uh, and like I said, lost that sense of taste, sense of smell. Again, I didn't really feel terrible. I wasn't nauseous. It wasn't like I had the flu. I would just have a, a couple of spoonfuls of something to eat and I was full. And this, this went on, those symptoms kind of went on. So again, it started like March 19th and I, I had these changing symptoms. The other thing that happened was I did have a lot of muscle fatigue. And one day, uh, again, after I had, had thought that maybe it potentially was COVID-19, I did start taking my temperature on a regular basis. And I didn't have a temperature at all, except for one day, my temperature was normal in the morning. I checked it in the afternoon, and it was like 101 to 101.5. And I thought, uh-oh. Then that night, I checked it, and no fever. So I only had a fever for like a half day. So it just really odd the way the symptoms kind of work. Um, and this went on for eight or nine days. About the 10th day, I started feeling better. And by the end of March, March 30th, March 31st, I, you know, I was feeling fine and just no problem. So during that period of time, I also thinking in the back of my mind, if it was COVID, I need to make very sure I social distance. I w- didn't go to meetings. I wasn't around anybody. And, um, you know, so that's what I did during that period of time. And we had also gone to Zoom meetings by that time. Uh, so it was much easier to, to maintain social distance and, and not be worried about infecting anybody if, if in fact, I was positive. And, and just to reiterate, as somebody who was at those meetings in Sister Bay from the beginning of this crisis, that first meeting I went to in Sister Bay um, when you had come back, that was the first public meeting where people that I have been to in Door County were practicing very strong social distancing. Tables were spread out. Each board member had their own table. Nobody else sitting there at these eight foot long tables. Each audience member was either at their own table or spaced 10, 12 feet apart. So Sister Bay, um, the village was taking it very seriously. Um, And then at the subsequent meeting, it was moved to the village hall where people were, again, spread very far out. And then it moved to Zoom online meetings. So if uh, not to... Not to defend or vouch for you here, but um, just having been at those, I know that the the practices were were very strong in those instances that that I was personally at. Yes, yes, and and we we took it very seriously from the very start. If we were going to do it, we wanted to make sure we did it the right way, and we didn't. When again, we were thinking about you know our population up here uh, that is susceptible to COVID and some of the potential issues with that, and so we wanted to make sure that we we not only we're doing it amongst ourselves, but we were making a very strong public statement that we believe, you know, social distancing can help. And um, so that's why we did what we did. And as, as, as it worked out, that was a good thing that we did do that. Um, so by the end of the month, uh, March 30th, 31st, I was feeling fine, no problem, felt good. It had been 10 or 12 days that I had kind of been ill. Um, so about two weeks later, around the middle of the month, I had um, uh, an online appointment with my doctor from the VA. And I was talking to her, it was about a different issue. And then at the end of the conversation, I said, I want to ask you about COVID-19. And so I explained to her what had happened to me, what my symptoms were, and, you know, how long it had taken. And she simply made the statement. She said, I'm quite sure you had you had COVID-19 based on your description. That's what I'm hearing from a number, a number of other patients who, in fact, were tested positive during the active course of the disease. And I went, wow, okay. So she suggested that at some point in the future, if it became available, that I take a antibody test, but she said, wait at least two to four weeks because it takes that long after you've recovered for the antibodies to build up or or show uh, up within these antibody tests. 
So I also started looking at antibody tests, and there's you know all kinds of them out there. There's some online. There's some you can go to doctor's offices and get. There's a lot of the small ones where they take a little prick of your finger and take a little drop of blood from your finger, and those are rapid tests. Uh, and then there were some uh, that were done where they take a couple tubes of blood from your arm, like, like a normal blood draw. And I looked into those, and a lot of the finger prick ones were kind of more meant for screening. Uh, they were less reliable. They had some false positives, false negatives. But if you were going to screen a large number of people, they were probably useful for that. Mm. Um, but I, I was looking for a test that was, you know, obviously much better than that. Uh, and so after the month had passed, I contacted my doctor and uh, said, well, okay, it's been a month, you know, should I do this? And what they did is they gave me an order to go to a Quest Diagnostics Labs down in Milwaukee. Uh, they did this blood draw result. They did the blood draw uh, from your arm rather than the finger prick. And what they did is my understanding was they drew two tubes of blood and uh, their tests were 99.9% accurate. And they tested one vial. And if it's positive, they tested the other vial the second time. And two positives, you know, you're 99.9%. And so that's how they are sure uh, that there are no false positives or false negatives. So I went down basically a week ago, Thursday now, I think it was, to Milwaukee, had the blood drawn. Uh, they called me back the next day, which I was surprised at because originally they told me it would be several days to get the results back. Uh, but they called me back roughly 24 hours later and said I was positive. And they sent me a hard copy of it so I could see the report uh, and, and, you know, what had happened. At the same time, shortly thereafter, I was contacted by... Uh, well, actually, I was going to call the Department of Public Health and let them know I had this, this positive antibody. Was there anything I should do? In the meantime, they contacted me actually first uh, to talk to me about it because they didn't know what the timing was, the time frame of, you know, was this recently active? How long ago did this happen? And, and just to be clear, they contact, the you, the they contact you because Quest immediately notifies them? Is that yes, how that there works? there must be some. Yes, I, 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 and I didn't know that. I didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, but obviously, they must be required under law somehow that if you had a positive test, that it had to be notified back to your county health department. So that's why they had been contacted to okay. let them know there was a positive antibody test. Um, so in what public health was doing, they were checking in to see, uh, first of all, of course, how it was doing. But secondly, was this recent enough that they need to do any contact tracing? Uh, contact friends, relatives, people I'd been in touch with, et cetera. And when they realized that it had been 30 days uh, since I had it, uh, there was no reason to do any contact tracing. It was well after any symptoms or well after any contagions would have been passed uh, to anybody else. And there was no other cases or outbreak or anything, you know, up in this area or around anywhere where I had been. Uh, so that kind of put, you know, that was the end of, of doing the contact tracing. And, and fortunately, there hasn't been any uh, outbreaks or other positives up here having to do with the time frame that I was supposedly contagious. Um, but at the same time, I was shocked. You know, when you get the results, you think, yeah, maybe you had it and you talk about it. But when you actually see the results, it's like, whoa. Uh, so I was both at the same time shocked, but I was also relieved uh, yeah. knowing that it, what it was and that I had it. And, you know, it, it, in my stories, that's why I decided to go public with this. Uh, it was uncomfortable. It wasn't fun, but it wasn't terrible either. You know, there is life after COVID. Um, and I was just happy that um, there was a test uh, that could tell me one way or another, you know, definitively whether I had it or not. Um, one and question a lot. I think I made the sure. Go ahead. Um, one question a lot of people obviously will have is like, how do you go about getting that antibody test? Is that something that your your doctor gets for you, or you individually go out and, and pay for that and, and seek that out? Um, in in this case, it was gotten via the doctor. Uh, it in order to have the antibody test, you do need it. It does have to be under a doctor's order uh, to have it. Uh, I know there are, and I checked all this online too. There are online tests available. There's a couple of companies that you can go online. You'll say online testing, but what they really end up doing is you end up 
contacting them, you tell them, yes, you'd like to have the test, and they put you in touch with a doctor within their group okay. or an online doctor who then talks with you and uh, decides if you should have the test or not, and then they write a doctor's order. So you still have to have a doctor's order uh, to have it done at this point in time. Okay. Um, and do you know anything about like what the guidelines are on on getting that antibody test? Like it's got to go, you go through your doctor and they probably determine, it's not like, I'm just guessing like not everybody can just call a doctor and request a test and get a test, correct? You probably need symptoms or do you just, you maybe can't speak to that? Well, at, I can only speak to, to what occurred to me and, and what I was told. Um, my understanding is at this point in time, it's not widespread available uh, testing. There are a couple of labs in Wisconsin that do it. West Labs in, in Milwaukee did, but again, under doctor's order. Um, the kind of prerequisite for it is that that's why they have you screen with a doctor is you have to explain your symptoms, what happened, how you felt, how long it lasted, and they kind of make the determination, yep, kind of sounds like uh, uh, you might be positive for it. I, I never forget the comment when I when I talked to the doctor the second time uh, and I was told, uh, you're going to be my first positive of the day. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, people have been calling a lot to get these antibody tests, uh, but none of them have had the... Uh, experience or, or the symptoms that you had. So I think you're going to be my first positive call today. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so great. Number one. Right? Yeah. Good. I'll be, but I'll be on your the, pedestal. <clears throat> as I understand it, um, they want you to, to, they want you to be at least symptom free for 10 days before you have the test. They prefer if it's closer to 30 days. My understanding is it takes 10 days to two or three weeks for the antibodies to build up in your body after you've had the exposure and, and your body uh, fights it off. And so to, to have a good valid test, they prefer several weeks have passed, a minimum of 10 days, hopefully uh, uh, several weeks to a month. And like I said, I was she originally told me, uh, wait a month. So at the end of the month is when I call back. And that's when I had the test on. I'm guessing as soon as you confirm this, you immediately start mentally going back through your head of, all right, what contacts did I have? What were the contexts that I put myself into? And like even before you get that call from public health, you're probably kind of mentally doing this contact tracing in your head, I'm guessing. Yes. I mean, I, it, it's kind of funny because my daughter and son-in-law, of course, had been out there with my two grandkids and I was wondering what happened to them. And when I called my daughter and explained what was going on, she said, oh my gosh. I said, what do you mean? Oh my gosh. Well, in, in Aspen, Colorado, the outbreak started with a group of Australians, 16 or 17 Australians that were there, you know, for skiing. And uh, they all ended up being tested positive at some point in time, all 17 or 18 of them. And when I explained it to my daughter, again, because I was there a week longer than she was, she says, oh my gosh, we might've been with them. I said, what do you mean? I had, I had given them a early anniversary gift of taking a snowcat ride up the mountain to a small log cabin, if you will, that was set up for fine dining and dinner. And I said her and her husband had gave it to her as a gift to do that. Well, they went up there with 15 or 16 Australians <laughs> in a very small cabin, okay? And uh, I figured that was probably where the connection was. As, as you said, I was trying to track back in my mind, well, you know, what's the possibilities? How did this happen? And um, so uh, they were finished with their dinner. They came back down. We never had a discussion about the people that were there, just how the dinner was. And they actually left the next day. So this is the day before they left. And I was there a week longer. So when I told this to my daughter and I said, you know, I'm tested. They think I'm positive. I'm waiting for the results. Uh, and then I called and let them know it was positive. She said, I said to her, have you or your husband or kids been ill at all? And she said, you know, like the week after we got back, I got this cold and things didn't taste good. I had this metallic taste in my mouth and I wasn't very hungry and I got pretty tired for several days. 
And I was thinking, well, it's quite possible she had it. Uh, you know, mm. she would have been the first one. That would have been the initial connection. Mine would have followed later, of course. Uh, so I thought, you know, that was a possibility. So she's going to wait uh, a little while and she's going to contact her doctor and potentially do an antibody test too uh, to see if, in fact, she had it. But I was, as you said, I was, I was tracing back. Okay, where was I? What was the time frame? Then I also thought everybody I was in Aspen Airport with in that small confined area for several hours. Plus, I was, of course, in the airplane until I got back to O'Hare. Uh, but then I trace back what meetings it was at, who did I talk to, what face-to-face things. As you said, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, oh, my gosh. Uh, but at the same time, I'm thinking, well, I'm so glad we put social distancing in place. I'm so glad I was mm-hmm. observing it. I'm so glad people up here were observing it. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of like the walking advertisement now for good social <laughs> distancing. <laughs> um, but, no, you're absolutely right. The other thing I did, uh, I, I kept rethinking. I still do it today. Uh, I keep rethinking my symptoms during that time and how I was feeling. And, you know, now that you know you're positive, you look back on it and go, oh, well, maybe I should have paid more attention to this at the time. Or if I'd known this now, maybe I would have called the doctor at that point in time and had a, a, a positive and active test while I, while I had it. Uh, but it's all, you know, going back, second guessing, trying to come up with your personal diary of what happened and who you were with. Sure. And if I'm, I'm guessing you're somewhat like me, where you spend a lot of time every day right now on the phone, talking to people or in meetings and what's yep. happened to me sometimes and, and Dave Elliott in our office, um, you just get hoarse from talking all day. And then at the end of the day, you're going, oh, wait, is this a sore throat? Is this, is this right. maybe some right, sign? Exactly. And then you have to like, you right, drink exactly. some water, have some tea and go, nope, nope. I've just exhausted my, my voice and um, my throat. Um, you know, that it, it's interesting. You mentioned like being a cautionary tale and, you know, practicing that social distancing. And I'd say in the northern part of the county, at least, because that's where I live, that's what I see more often. And I, I've been trying to isolate myself a lot. So I, I don't necessarily see other spots, but people I talked to have said like Northern door early on took it much more seriously than say Southern door and green Bay and Kiwani, just talking to friends of mine who have routes all over. And so in, in Northern door, it might've even been easier, um, to, and, and so many businesses are shut down. So there's not the temptation in March and April to go to as many right. places as well. Um, right. Exactly. You're right. The, you know, a couple of, well, first of all, Dave, I want to uh, thank you for sharing uh, a lot of your personal information and your personal experience. Um, that's not easy to do. And, um, but I think it's instructive to people who, who maybe both people wondering if they've had it or what the symptoms are and what the, mm-hmm. the procedures might be and, and, and the value of social distancing. Um, I, I think it's very helpful. So thanks for sharing that. Um, but then I also wanted to ask you, since I have you here, um, a couple things at last night's village board meeting that kind of play into this and the and some of the decisions that village board members and presidents and administrators are are muddling through right now and trying to figure out it's sometimes it seems obvious but it it really is pretty complicated in practice and um i know at last night's board meeting there was talk about do we close the parks do we to discourage people from gathering and maybe tell me a little bit about some of those decisions last night in Sister Bay, both either closing parks or do we require masks for businesses, that sort of thing. Um, well, as you were a part of that discussion, you know that there's a lot of different opinions as to what we should do or not do. And I, I welcome the discussion that we had at the board last night. I welcome everybody's input, of course, uh, to work through those issues. But as you said, everybody is facing those kinds of issues. And we're going to face them more than more than now that we're moving into quote, our season and people are anxious to get going and get out and spend time. But, you know, what was addressed was, should we put in place an order uh, that people have to wear masks going in and out of businesses? There's already a volunteer 
volunteer uh, plan to do that within the governor's order, and they're asking people to do that as well as the CDC and the federal government guidelines. So some of the businesses were asking, should we make it mandatory? And we had quite a lengthy discussion about that. Obviously, a lot of people feel very strongly both ways. Uh, and I, I hope that the businesses that are concerned, you know, will put a mask policy in place. But it's very difficult from the quote, the government side of things, uh, to do a mask policy. It's, as you well know, right now, it's very difficult to get masks. The, the village couldn't be, would have difficulty trying to find them. Uh, we'd have, the village would have great difficulty being liable uh, to come up with masks if we couldn't find them, if we had put this in place and required people to do it, and now we couldn't find masks or make them available to businesses. You know, how does it all work out? And we had quite a discussion about that, and ultimately it was decided that we wouldn't put a mask policy in place. Um, things may be changing based on the Supreme uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court challenge that's in place by May 11th. So we decided, let's wait a week, see what happens with that challenge and see if things change as far as masks go. But I would still encourage anybody to wear a mask, uh, especially going into uh, stores or, or around other people uh, that are not part of their immediate family, uh, to certainly do the mask. Another thing that uh, we talked about was closing the parks. Again, there's a lot of people would like to see us close the parks. A lot of people would like to see us put restrictions on them. A lot of people just saying keep them open. Uh, I'm of the mindset, and, and the majority of the board felt that way last night, that we should keep them open. Uh, one of the things that we have here in Door County that's helpful to our residents and, and visitors are we, have, we do have space. And so we wanted to keep that space available for people to go into the park. Uh, there's enough room down there, hopefully, to, to maintain social distancing and to practice social distancing. Same thing with the beaches, uh, was to have that discussion and, and keep places open. We also decided to open bathrooms uh, on weekends in, in the parks right now and after Memorial Day to have them open you know, full-time or during starting Memorial Day weekend, have them open full-time. We have to acknowledge that we do have visitors coming up here. We do have residents up here. We do have people that want to be outside, get some fresh air after being cooped up all these months and weeks. Uh, from our isolation, if you will. And so we wanted to make sure we tried to have a place for, for people to do that and, and maintain that. And we're going to put some signs up that says pretty much, uh, yes, we're open, help us keep open, you know, maintain social distancing uh, so that we don't have a problem. The yeah. third thing that was on the docket was uh, Sister Bay is one of the few communities in Door County, maybe the only community at the moment, I don't know for sure that we do have a policy that allows uh, open beverage consumption uh, within the parks and, and on public property. And uh, that also was a topic of discussion. Uh, there was a couple of places that were allowing uh, drinks to be sold outside, which is fine. This is all just to be sure that the businesses that were involved, this was allowed under the governor's order. They did nothing wrong. Uh, they were well within uh, the order of, of doing what they were doing. But people were congregating uh, off premises, off that property, uh, on public property. And a lot of people called, a lot of citizens called, concerned that there was no social distancing, that they were allowed to do this in, in public. And it was a way to uh, have a business open, but kind of skirt the rules, if you will. Uh, but again, nothing nothing wrong was done. Everything was with, within the guidelines of, of the state order. Uh, and the issue just became, well, do we allow that to occur so people can go in the parks and be on sidewalks and, and, and do this and, and allow those businesses to continue to operate like that. And the consensus, uh, I originally uh, personally was, was somewhat opposed to it, but after listening to everybody and listening to the reasoning, I, I agreed to kind of alter my feelings about it and allow it to continue. 
uh, as it currently is. So those were the three items of general topics uh, that were discussed at length last night. And again, we'll be revisiting this next week. We hope to get some more guidance on a lot of things from the state as this uh, lawsuit winds through the uh, state Supreme Court also. And hopefully as some more guidance comes down, even from like the, the county task force and um, mm-hmm. the Restaurant Association and Economic Development Corporation, uh, businesses will get a little more clarity on not just rules for opening, but just good ideas to keep yeah. things managed because the, the better job businesses do, the less government has to tell them what to do which is, um, I would say, is kind of the gist of what was decided last night as much as um, I think Denise Berto did a great job talking to a lot of business owners and coming forward with um, their concerns. Um, What she was Mm -hmm. saying and and what I've heard in talking to people is a lot of business owners, whether or not people individually feel like masks are necessary, despite all the guidance. I know there's a lot of people who just think they're not necessary, but it's more about the comfort level of those people who are trying to serve you and really putting themselves at risk. Like you might go to two stores in a day and say, well, I'm not really exposing myself. I don't need a mask. The people working at these establishments are serving anywhere from 100 to 200 to 300 people a day and being yeah, contacted. They're totally by exposed. And they're exposed. Right. So what by by recommending that people wear a mask, by recommending that visitors wear masks, it's really a protection for the people who are putting themselves at risk of the most exposure. It's not it is about you, but it's more about them, <laughs> in a sense. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and that's what I—that's what—that's what I—that's what, I, what we're—that's what we've tried it as a village up here to get people to understand. It's not just about yourself; it's about your friends, relatives, workers, people that you're meeting on a daily basis. That's who you're really trying to protect, and uh, that's why we feel very strongly about hopefully uh, people doing that. Um, and I thought Patrick Duffy had an interesting point last night as well, talking about the marina facilities and 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 opening bathrooms or not opening bathrooms, saying like, at this point, people are coming up here. That was very clear this weekend to, to anybody walking around Sister Bay that there were just a lot more people here. And then mm-hmm. and not only that, but the locals were out more. So you have both populations getting out and about. And if you don't open the bathrooms, you're not giving people a place to wash their hands is what Patrick had mentioned. He's like, if we're going to tell preach hand washing, we should have it available to them. If we're going to, if we are going to keep the parks open right. and encourage people to walk around, um, right. then we should give them resources to do it as safely as possible. So, um, it's a good discussion. I, I think it's, um, even if they, like the village did not make any decision on any of those topics to like, enforce anything. But the discussion alone probably will drive business owners and people who are at that meeting back to making better policies just by mm-hmm. putting it all on the table. Or at least that's my hope. Yes, it's certainly my hope too. And I, I always appreciate um, up here in the Sister Bay area, everybody participates. Everybody's part of the discussion. We got a, we get a lot of good ideas. Uh, I don't think anybody's trying to make it more difficult for anybody but everybody is trying to make sure everybody can be as safe as they can be. Um, Dave, thanks again for taking the time this morning, uh, letting me uh, call you first thing in the morning and bug you, and for sharing your story. Well, happy to do it, Miles, and I appreciate your time. All right, take Have care. a good day. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.